Welcome to Rise Monday Symposis on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders, past, present, and yet to come. My name is Ira and I will be with you for the next hour and a half. And joining me in the studio here today is choreographer Eliza Cooper, who is here to tell us all about the making of The Bat Lake, a 50-minute dance work that will premiere at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on 13th of October as part of the Form Dance Projects. Bat Lake has been described as a gothic dance that celebrates the dark and theatrical world of bats. It has been inspired by these creatures' behavior and anatomy, as well as the ways they are perceived in the popular cultural and our everyday lives. Eliza, good morning and thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. How has your morning been so far and how are your mornings usually? What are they like? Are you a morning person or more of a nocturnal kind Ooh. of animal as the beds that you're inspired by? Um, well, I'm a bit of a mixture. It depends uh, how nocturnal I was the night before, I suppose. <laughs> Some nights I'm up very late, very, very late. But today was quite a nice slow morning. Had breakfast, came here. And when do you feel most inspired to create, to make things? Is that happening in the nights or mm. in the mornings? Yeah, definitely in the day? evenings. Definitely in the evenings. I seem to have this thing where I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying, I want to go to bed and I'm lying in my bed and then I keep getting these like ideas come to me and then I like go and get my phone, write it down in my phone notes try to go back to sleep, but then I have more ideas. And so I'm like, it's sort of like my peak time. <laughs> it's like when I'm about to fall asleep, that seems to be when the creative energy comes. The dream time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you dream any of your ideas? Do visions come to you through dreams? They, I think they definitely come to me when I'm about to fall asleep. I don't know if they come to me in my dreams when I'm actually asleep, but um, I definitely this time where I'm when I'm starting to sort of like fade away into sleep is, is definitely where I get the most ideas. Mm. Mm. So Bat Lake is uh, your second feature length dance work. It will premiere at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on 13th of October as part of Form Dance Projects. And the idea or inspiration to make this came in the science class at mm -hmm. the uni. Uh, you saw an image of a bat covered in pollen. Can you take us through that moment? Yeah, I, um, it was in 2019 and I just premiered my first full-length work, Old Life, Dead Life, uh, which was about evolution and yeah, evolutionary biology and all that kind of stuff, mass extinctions and uh, different eras. And then I, yeah, I was studying part-time at Sydney University and I was in a lecture and uh, the lecturer was talking about pollination and this image of this bat crawling out of a flower covered in pollen just came up and it was such a shocking photo. I just didn't expect it. I expected some birds or some bees, you know, and it was, it was yeah, in the night, like it was almost like the photo had been taken and like caught the bat by surprise. Like it almost looked a bit guilty, like it mm -hmm. had been caught it was just such a great image. And then it, I remember I printed it out and had it in my, uh, cause I handwrite my notes. That's how I learn. I don't like typing things as much. Mm -hmm. So I printed it out and I had it in my 
sort of revision book and then I just sort of kept looking at it and just thought like this is so exciting and I have to something has to come from this mm. yeah I'm curious about this handwriting of the notes as a way to learn what do you think is this difference between actually typing something on an electronic device as opposed to typing it with your hands what happens why do we learn better that way mm. well one of my lecturers at uni actually gave it a good answer for this because he said he didn't want people on their computers like he'd prefer to lecture to people with you know paper and pen and he gave the note that when you handwrite things, the specific fine motor movement of each letter is very specific and different and it, of mm. each word is very specific and different. So it, it sinks into you better mm. than when you're typing. Every letter feels the same. Every key mm. is the same shape, sort of same weight. So it, it doesn't it doesn't like really stick with your body f like physically as much. Mm -hmm. the, the movement process involved in handwriting is so much more specific and ingrained in in us but I, I suppose you know maybe younger generations is different but mm. um it's definitely more specific to handwrite so something to do with kinesthetic memory yeah exactly dancers no no exactly <laughs> i know i couldn't believe you said it i just yeah. thought this is so my <laughs> cup of tea like this conversation <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's uh i i definitely agree with it when i type things i don't seem to remember them as much mm. Mm. And the focus is quite different. So in this class, you see this image that caught your attention. You are uh, surprised by it. You're inspired by it. And you decide to turn this image into a full-length dance work. Mm -hmm. So for those of uh, us listening who might not know how this actually happens, how something that comes from an image or imagination becomes uh, a dance piece of 50 minutes on a stage, Maybe take us a bit through the beginnings of this process. Uh, what were some of the first things that you did after having this initial idea? Yeah, so uh, like I said, we just finished our um, Old Life, Dead Life, which was my previous work. And Anthea Doropoulos, who's a, a very, like a leading producer and uh, figure in the dance scene, uh, offered me a residency at Campbelltown Arts Centre and and just asked me, what would you like to work on? <laughs> like, send me an email, what would you like to work on during this residency? And I just thought, oh, it has to be the bats. <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought about it. But when once this opportunity was presented to me suddenly, you know, it was obvious to me that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had two weeks there uh, with, with some of my dancers who were, in, you know, in the final work that's coming up. And we, during that time, we just, we firstly just watched mountains and mountains of footage of bats uh, in trees, like National Geographic footage, David Attenborough, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And just watching their behaviour and uh, looking at images of their anatomy, their bones, their, you know, just reading all about them and doing just like normal research, like not, mm -hmm. not anything artistic particularly, just very scientific kind of, uh, like a research project for high school, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And And then from there we sort of, we sometimes we'd nitpick like a particular thing about about them whether it's how they use echolocation or whether it's you know the way they fly or all these sort of specific things and then other times we do really open improvisations where I would just say you know it's bat vibes mm -hmm. <laughs> anything to do with bats that comes to you just go with it and we'll just like keep it really open and just see what comes up uh, and so we, we sort of just did a lot of improvisation, a lot of that kind of thing and, and filmed a lot of it. And then we sort of review it and, and go, oh, yeah, that moment is fantastic. 
That's mm. we need to develop that moment. Or, you know, this stuff doesn't really read very well. It's not very exciting. Let's just scrap that. So that that was sort of the beginning of the process. Mm-hmm. And that was about three years ago, right? That the yes, it was three whole years ago. I assume partly it was delayed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But there is some, I guess, value in having a long development periods where the things can or ideas can really become integrated within your system. And one thing that you were also, I think uh, you wrote that uh, you were doing as part of this early part of the process was drawing bets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious about uh, this, uh, again, um, physicalizing this movement of drawing and maybe how that has some repercussions on your body or the sense of the shape of a bet. Mm, mm. Is that is that why you were drawing? What was yeah, that? definitely, definitely. So when I did this residency at Campbelltown, uh, there were a couple of days when I was there by myself, you know, because people couldn't make it that day. And and on those days, I would I would I just found myself sort of drawing them a lot. And part of it was, you know, part of the learning process of say, like if you look at bats' wings, the structures in their wings, uh, the sort of lines through them are their fingers. That's their like phalanges. That's like their finger bones. And like that was just something I hadn't really thought about. And so you know, doing these drawings of it really helps you notice these things of, okay, their fingers are so long, so thin, so fragile. You know, what does that, how does that feel if I imagine mm-hmm. that I have that or they're, you know, they have these sort of like, some of them have these sort of like fat bellies or something and their their legs are very short. So drawing them, you sort of start to notice these things and you can think like, how would, how does that differ from my anatomy and how, um, how can I embody that? Or what does it feel like to imagine that that's mm-hmm. my physical predicament sort of thing so I find that drawing helps as opposed to just uh looking you know Mm. or or imagining I I really like drawing because then I once I've done the drawing I I notice even more Mm -hmm. um and it's also very just sort of stream of consciousness you know when I'm drawing I don't plan what I'm doing really I just sort of go with it and see see what happens Mm. Now that you spoke about these long finger nails and bellies and all those mm-hmm. um, shape parts and form of the bat, uh, another thing that you've done as part of this piece is you've uh, designed and made costumes, which are the way to get into the shape of a bat, I assume, because mm-hmm. you put mm-hmm. a costume on and you become this other creature were these elements of, uh, you know, anatomy of a bat present in those costumes or are there more abstract ways to look at it? Yeah, they're, they're definitely present in the in the costumes. So the costumes that I've built, uh, I had a really long process with them. I had an artist studio at the Nest Creative Space, which is in Waterloo, and I it was a very long process where I really experimented with a lot of different things I had all different colors to start with, oranges, like all the flying fox colors, oranges, yellows, browns, and then also the blacks. And then just, just it was a very big range. I tried with furs and stretch fabrics and all sort of different stuff and eventually refined it to this sort of all black, more shiny, slick aesthetic. Like that's more the bats flying through the sky, how that, how that feels. Um, but one thing that was always clear to me that I wanted to have was this lack of a waistline. I feel like that was mm-hmm. really important to me was this, when you look at the shape of the bat, the sort of chubby belly or that kind of roundedness, I really wanted to have that instead of a, a human waistline. You know, that that mm-hmm. was the one thing that really stuck with me was this, I want these sort of shapes that are sort of rounded, that sort of 
disguise the human form a little bit. So, so yeah, a lot of the costumes have lots of fabric. You know, there's a lot there. It's, mm-hmm. it's not it's not very minimalist. You know, it's very very maximal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the one thing that really stuck to me was I wanted no waistlines. I wanted just mm-hmm. this big fluffy things. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And were dancers uh, given th- those costumes early on in the process so they can actually develop movements while wearing those uh, garments on? Or did they just need to imagine what it will be like to wear them? A bit of a mixture. I, When I was developing them, one of the dancers, Strick- Strickland Young, he came into my studio a few times and tried things on and moved around and sort of gave me feedback on, you know, this, you know, I can move in this or this, this doesn't work or... Uh, so, so he was really helpful in coming in and, and giving me that feedback. And then they have – a few of them actually haven't tried dancing in them at all, but most of them most of them have danced in the costumes mm. now and, and, you know, we know it works. Mm. But a few of them haven't actually uh, – I haven't fitted their costumes to them. It's something I'm doing this, you know, leading up to the show. But, yeah, it's it's a mixture of, yeah, imagination and also, and also practice. There, there are some things that we know – when we're in the dresses, we can't do certain things. You know, there's just too much fabric. It just doesn't, you know, it doesn't work to be like sliding along the ground or it doesn't work to be lifting someone else in the costume. So so there's certain certain different parts that we've we've had to go, like what can we do in these costumes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then problem solve, the things we want to do that don't work in the costumes, you know, we have a solution, but you'll see, you know, it's a spoiler. <laughs> You're on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Mondays in Poesis. Uh, my name is Ira, and I'm in conversation with dance maker, choreographer Eliza Cooper. We are talking about her second full-length dance work, Bad Lake, which will premiere at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on 13th of October. You will have a couple of days to see it, and it's showing as part of the form dance projects. As mentioned earlier, Eliza, in developing this work, you were exploring and physicalizing some of the behavior and anatomy of bats that you have discovered through your research. What were some of the movements that you were interested or most interested in depicting on stage? Mm. One one thing particularly that was really surprising to me and really exciting was watching fishing bats hunt because I didn't even know that they were fishing bats, firstly. That wasn't something I knew about. And they do this incredible thing where they're, you know, they're flying around you know, whether it's a cave with a water body in the cave or wherever it is, they fly around and they sort of spot the fish or they use their echolocation to locate the fish. And then they they swoop down as they're flying and they do this incredible thing where they sort of drag their feet through the water, catch the fish with one of their, you know, claws in their feet and then lift their foot all the way up to their mouth and put the fish in their mouth from their feet. So that was something that was a great challenge to, you know, to physicalize or to try, you know, when we eat, we're using we're ha- our hands predominantly. It's it's rare, but, you know, people do it, you know, eat using their feet in, in, for different reasons. But but getting the foot all the way up to the mouth was, was something that was, we thought this is a challenge. Impossible. Let's It's impossible, <laughs> but... One of my one of the dancers in the cast, Ali Graham, who is is a very prolific freelancer. A lot of people would know Ali from her. Um, she's had an amazing career. She's very flexible and she can really basically do anything. So that you know, there may or may not be a moment with Ali getting her foot all the way up to her mouth. <laughs> but as we learned the other day on ABC Radio, where you were a guest a couple of days ago. 
Beds don't have knee joints. Yeah, so no. they can actually bend their knees in all directions, which I assume even Ellie can't yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Ellie can't do that one. <laughs> she can do most things, though. Uh, another movement that inspired you was the way that they actually take off to mm-hmm. fly, how yeah. they actually, unlike birds, they need to dive down or scoop down and then they lift up into the air to fly. How did you embody that kind of movement? Yeah, I, I was... I was so surprised to learn this, uh, but I suppose it seems obvious now because one of the questions that I, you know, Googled really early on is like, why do bats hang upside down? What What is the reason for that? Because like everyone knows they do it, but what actually is, is it, you know, their circulation? What's the reason? And, um, and it, it seems to me that they, they hang upside down and their feet lock around the branch without them having to use a lot of muscle. Like their feet can actually just lock into place and so they can lie sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if a bat dies hanging upside down, it will just stay there. You know, its feet just lock around the, bl- the branch. It doesn't have to be, you know, actively holding on. And so what it means then is that they can be in this position and then they just release their grip with their feet and then they free fall straight down. And then after a few meters, they, you know, they spread their wings and they catch this moment of momentum and this moment of they get the air under their wings sort of thing. And then they can fly off, which is just a completely different mechanism to the way birds fly, where they're, you know, Mm -hmm. standing on their feet and then flapping their wings to get the momentum, to get the momentum. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this was something we, we experimented a bit with in the studio just practicing free falling sort of trust falling like if you remember doing trust falls as a, as a kid or something where you're standing there and you fall back you know and someone catches you and practicing ways of falling where you try and really have you trying really to be so relaxed that you're not using any muscle to do it that's the key thing i think is like free falling without holding back you know and then landing safely of course finding ways to roll out of things or mm-hmm. you know how do you hit the ground after that uh, so that's something that we looked at was just ways of embodying that sense of free fall, which is really, I think, beautiful. And, and it's a key part of contemporary dance already. Lots of techniques like release technique or like counter technique, all these kind of contemporary techniques that have evolved. A lot of them have this element of relaxation to move into the ground. You know, it's a very key concept that you have to be soft and you have to be relaxed when you're moving in and out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speak to us a bit about your dance background. What kind of styles of dance were you exploring? What are the styles that you're most inspired by these days? Mm. Uh, I, I grew up doing a lot of ballet. Um, and and then I went to Newtown High School, uh, which is very contemporary focused, but also has a lot of ballet. Uh, and then from there, I did the pre-professional year program at Sydney Dance Company. And this was a really big shift for me because that program has mountains and mountains of improvisation built into it, uh, which was something I just didn't expect, didn't know about. You know, I'd done a lot of technique, a lot of choreography, but improvisation was just not something I had even really registered in my mind as an important part of performing and making. It just wasn't on my radar. Uh, And we did so much uh, improvisation and that really shifted the way I thought about dance and the way you can deal with different concepts in dance because I think prior to that the way I would show a concept would be by a shape like or a symbol Mm -hmm. that was sort of the approach I would use like this shape is symbolic for this thing whereas in improvisation it can be more like okay this is the concept I'm working with let's make that our 
improvisation rule. Mm-hmm. So let's say in, in Bat Lake, there's a scene where the it's an improvisation scene and the idea we're working with is pollination. And my instruction to the dancers is to have a sense that they are pollinating. So have a sense that they are, you know, moving into one space, absorbing something from that space and then carrying it incidentally to a different part of the space and then reacting there. And what, like, how can you embody these things physically or how can we in a very 3d way as opposed to a symbolic way? So that was a really interesting shift. So I think improvised performance is one of my biggest, you know, interests and, and that kind of, thing but I there's there's a lot of styles that are really interesting to me I do flamenco dance with Peppa Molina who's a really leading figure in the scene in Sydney uh, and I really love it and there's there's elements of improvisation there but you know a completely different approach where there's these mm-hmm. sort of like cultural traditions of how to improvise and how to interact with musicians and all this kind of this it's a completely different way of improvising you know so that it's it's fascinating to me how this element of performance is very universal, but it's it's you know very culture specific and um, and dance form specific. Mm. Are there any elements of flamenco in Bat Lake? <laughs> not in Bat Lake, not in Bat Lake. But I would love to work on a contemporary flamenco production one day, whether it's with Peppa or whether it's a, a different project. I don't know, but I definitely there's a few real really amazing flamenco artists such as Israel Galvan who are working in the contemporary flamenco scene and really deconstructing all these things and really working through just, just being super experimental with it. And it's, I really love to see it. I think it's really important for forms to have, you know, this and also have the really traditional, like the traditional needs to be preserved. It's so magical. It's so important. I think ancestral memories are important in dance. Uh, but I really love these people who just go and just are trying just really random and unusual stuff. You know, it's really mm. cool. There is something in flamenco that does remind me on a Vink Spam. Oh, of yes. That. Yes, yes. You it's it's probably almost... the Manton, the shawl. Yeah. When, they, when they dance with the shawl, it's, oh, it's so incredible. Yeah, it reminds me of birds. But I suppose, yeah, it could be a bat for sure. <laughs> um, and I, I love that style. I think it's incredible. Amari... Amari Leva Uzoa, I think is how you say her name, I'm not sure, but she's one of my colleagues in Flamenco who I train with and she's fantastic with the manton. She's when she does it, she it's like, yeah, the wings are so broad, you know, and it flies so high and it's so inspiring and um it's really amazing. And and some of my friends who came to watch us perform in a show said it was also very fashion. <laughs> That's how they took it. <laughs> that they thought it was a very fashionable uh element to use. <laughs> You're on Easter Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis, and we are here talking to choreographer Eliza Cooper, who is speaking about Bat Lake. It's a feature-length dance work that will premiere at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on 13th of October as part of Form Dance Projects. Apart from focusing on bats' anatomy and behavior and their movements, you were also curious to discover how they are perceived in popular culture and everyday life. So what were some of the things that you were discovering there and how are they present in the final work? Mm. Uh, One thing that was quite funny, I suppose, was that we started this project in the middle, such second half of 2019, and then 
And so once I hadn't really told people about it, but then once I started to tell people about it, it became COVID. And so everyone said, are you making this piece like to defend bats because everyone thinks they caused COVID? So a lot of people's questions to me was like, is this a bat and COVID piece? (laughs) Which it definitely isn't. I feel like it's not, you know, COVID, it hasn't made its way into the piece. It's not part of it. But that was funny that that was at the time that the perception of bats was very skewed, you know, because of because of that. And um, and that was quite interesting. But I suppose we were more interested in more sort of historical and ongoing cultural perceptions of bats and of course, them being like a symbol of the, you know, the vampire and all that kind of stuff in Dracula or in, or just in, in folklore historically. And that's sort of how I guess I always thought of them in, in my childhood is you see a bat and you think of Halloween, you think of, you think of like spooky mansions and, you know, maybe ghosts as well and like zombies or something like it's all sort of in that world. It was interesting to work with that and, and to think, um, why do we think that? And what is it about them that seems so villainous uh, and we found some pretty obvious answers when we looked at we looked at footage of vampire bats actually at- attacking like livestock like cows and chickens and stuff and and them actually sucking the blood and it was pretty confronting and it was you know it gives you a clear reason why they you know people some people are scared of them or hate them or whatever but but I suppose from a creative perspective that all that kind of stuff is so inspiring like I really love dance works that go to a dark place or that go to these sort of grotesque forms. I feel like that's really interesting to me is, is the embodiment of like other beings. They might not be animals. Mm -hmm. They might just be mythical or sort of fantastical things. And, and some of the dancers in the cast are are really good character dancers. Like they're more, you know, character actors almost. I'll mention Ali again, Ali Graham, who has done a lot of work with uh, Opera Australia and with, Pinchgut opera in more character-based roles where mm-hmm. she's very much a character and it's a more physical theatre type gig. Uh, and so she's developed this amazing ability to really embody unusual characters and it's a very, you know, it's in the face, it's it's in all the things that maybe in dance sometimes we forget about. So I was really uh, interested in going there and how can we use the face, how can we use the tongue, you know, with how the bats, their tongues are like straws, like a sort of a straw shape, I think. So they, they sort of latch on and suck blood through the straw. So it's like, how can, how can we sort of experience this or how can we activate the face in this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you speak about characters, I'm uh, wondering if uh, the piece has a narrative arc or dramaturgical arc. Is there a plot to it or is it less linear like that? You know, obviously, Bat Lake is a spin-off on Swan Lake, which is very melodramatic Mm -hmm, even. mm -hmm. Is there any element of that in the work? Well, um, surprisingly, when I decided to call it Bat Lake, I didn't even think about Swan Lake. It wasn't... um, I hadn't even noticed it was I, I when I was in Campbelltown in our first residency I wrote this poem about a bat flying over a lake and so then I just decided to call it Bat Lake and everyone said oh yeah like Swan Lake and then I thought oh no like is everyone going to think it's some kind of Swan Lake parody because that's definitely not what it is um, but more and more I'm noticing sort of accidental similarities and, and now I'm maybe going to play into it a little bit mm-hmm. um, of like in Swan Lake, all the swans have these, you know, beautiful white tutus. And then in Bat Lake, they have these beautiful black dresses. Like there's, there's sort of these similarities that arise. Um, and with some of the shapes in the choreography, but in terms of a, 
narrative arc, um, there is, I guess, a, it's not really a, a narrative storyline, but we we start our opening scene is in the daytime with the fruit bats hanging from the trees, just like you would see them at the Botanic Gardens or Rushcutters Bay or Parramatta Park, any of those places. Really a daytime scene of the bat, the bats hanging upside down, sleeping, eating, just being very matter-of-fact in their, their way of being, uh, sort of as they are. And then then we go sort of into flight and into this evening journey and then into the darkness of the night. So it sort of goes from light to dark, I would say. Uh, and it's also sort of a journey from these sort of more friendly mega bats, fruit bats, like the flying foxes, and it's a journey all the way sort of to the vampire bat. So we sort of go through, uh, we haven't stuck to one species, you know, we've really explored the diversity uh, and we end up with the with the, the vampire bats, which is just fantastic, I think. Um, so yeah, there there is a trajectory, but it's not, it's not we're not following certain ca- characters all the way through. Mm. You mentioned shapes in choreography. You also spoke about improvisation. So how much of the final piece will be improvised and whether we will see different pieces from night to night on mm. those three nights and how much is set in stone, I guess, mm. choreographically? Yeah, so there's there's a, there's a, a real mixture. So some of the scenes that are more sort of like solo scenes, those dancers in those moments, uh, we have a very clear thing we're working with they have developed like some pathways that they they know work and that read well and that are really you know that that they're going to stick to but within that they have flexibility in the duration in how long they want to stick with an idea they they also have the option to add things you know if they're working with this scene and they have this idea I encourage them to try it so there's you know small elements of flexibility and improvisation within that sort of choreography then there's choreography that's really set there are scenes where it's just completely choreographed there aren't any changes you know ensemble scenes and then there are a few scenes where we've really stripped away the choreography and there's maybe one or two concepts we're working with in an improvisation and that is quite open but there is I suppose the dancers we've been doing it for many years and they they know what works you know it's sort of like we've done it so many times that they know that even though they're working with this concept they know that what the energy needs to be so it so in effect it sort of looks the same every time like when I'm watching it I don't it it gives me exactly the same feeling or essence you know Mm -hmm. but but the actual shapes or the actual positions they're in uh is different every time Mm -hmm. in that case yeah it's a real mixture and is it okay to share what those concepts are or is that something? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So one of the scenes, uh, one of the nighttime scenes we have, they're working with the concept of echolocation, which, of course, in bats is when, they, when they're flying around in the night, they're emitting uh, sound waves and then waiting to hear the echoes of those sound waves. So the sound wave goes outwards, hits a surface and then travels back to the bat. So the bat can gauge the distance by by how long it takes to hear the echo you know if it hears the echo really fast it means there's a surface right in front of it so in this scene there's a very sort of calm relaxed meditation that the dancers go through where they they are really listening for sounds and they're they're trying not to be dependent on their sight because we find in dance it's sort of a problem i suppose that we evolve um if we grow up dancing with mirrors Mm -hmm. um 
in our process, we have no mirrors. I never want mirrors. I always cover mirrors. You know, I'm very anti-mirror <laughs> in dance uh, because I think it gives you a very two-dimensional sense of what you're actually doing. And that, and I think dance is a really 3D thing and we should train and practice in the 3D and, and use our kinesthetic awareness and sort of move away from this visual thing. So in this scene particularly, I encourage them to move away from the, this visual dependence and to try and sense each other through sound and through feeling their body heat and through feeling like, you know, when you can tell someone staring at you or you can tell someone standing right behind you without mm-hmm. seeing them, sort of tapping into this kind of awareness. And, and it means that it's very stripped back to, back and very quiet and very focused. But I think as an audience member, I really like having these moments instead of just, you know, dance, 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 dance uh, in your face the whole hour. You know, mm-hmm. I like having these moments that are stripped back and really focused and calm. I think it's important to have that in a work. Mm. Touching on sound there, we might have just a tiny little break and hear about a minute of a soundtrack that's been composed originally for this work. And then we will speak about that process. You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis, and you are listening to a conversation with choreographer Eliza Cooper, who is telling us all about Bat Lake, her full-length dance work that will premiere at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on 13th of October. And this is just a tiny bit of a soundtrack that's made for the work. Isad Radio 89.7 FM. Mason Peronchik is the name of the sound designer behind what we just heard. Are you seeing images as you are listening to yeah, this sound? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just as just as we uh heard that track, I just suddenly uh remembered like just had a, a reminder of the feeling that I feel like that music gives. That music gives me such a I have such a physical reaction to that of um this this track is from the flight scene. It's called Leaving the Cave is what he originally called this track when he you know showed it to me as a sample track. And it really for me has that sense of flight and I f- I felt just then listening to it um you would have seen I just suddenly had such a big smile on my face. It gives me that that feeling of elevation, you know, in my breath and in my um you know, it's it's so it's so you know it's very flight. <laughs> you know, he's really nailed it with the, with the feeling of flight. Um, but yeah, the music's uh, there's a really nice range I think through the piece because there's tracks like that that are uh, 
yeah, it's very full. It's got a sort of orchestral feel to it. And then there's also tracks that are very stripped back and, you know, more spooky and sort of more like scary or not scary, but they're sort of like the music you would maybe see in a horror film or something like something like more that kind of thing. So there's a nice mix of like really beautiful uh, and also really like a sort of dramatic, intense music in our, in our process. I just had a flashback in our, in our process. We had a three week residency uh, that Dirty Feet awarded to us, which is called the out of the studio residency, which is a really important residency in the Sydney scene where like an emerging choreographer gets three weeks and and there are salaries provided for the for the artists working on the project so it's a really rare properly funded residency program um which was really instrumental in making this piece and in that in that residency we had no samples from mason yet because that was his first engagement you know on the project and in rehearsals i would play the soundtrack from psycho from alfred hitchcock's psycho just to put everyone on edge and just to get us in this edgy mood that was really dramatic and really kind of scary and and it gave this fantastic like sort of quality to the dance i think so so yeah, I, I just forgot about that, but I, it just came back to me now of, yeah, playing this music from Psycho, you know, the famous strings, the really sort of stressful music, um, which which I think is, is good. I, I When I'm seeing a dance piece, I really like to see, you know, I want to have a diversity of emotional reactions, you mm-hmm. know. it's it's I find it a little bit disappointing if I go to see a piece and then everything's really beautiful, you know. It's like mm-hmm. I feel like I don't relate to that. I feel like life has so many more you know, there's struggle in it and there's there's these sort of jarring things that happen in our lives and I feel like th- I like reflecting that in the work. You know, I like seeing the dancers work. I like seeing the struggle at times and I also just like these surprises, you know, these more jarring things. So in the music there's is a really – there's quite a few different themes that come in and out, um, which is maybe another way in which it – in which I would say like Swan Lake ended up influencing it was I – recently was listening to Swan Lake when I was on the train. I had a long train trip and I just listened to the whole of Swan Lake on Spotify. And yeah, and it reminded me that, yeah, we have these themes that are like woven in and out, which is quite a traditional sort of way of composing in a, in a way. Like if you're composing for dance, having themes. Um, so there, there is that sort of classic element there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned how in this residency with Dirty Feet you haven't had sounds yet. So that's, I assume, answering the question that I had whether dancers actually worked to the sound from the beginning or the sound was actually composed based on the movements that they came up with without maybe sound or with some alternative sounds. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's sort of an ongoing process. So the way that Mason and I usually work together is that there's the ideas you know, the bats and, and the different specific concepts related to bats. And I sort of present him with these ideas. And then he usually goes away. He, he's not seeing stuff in the studio. You know, he goes by himself and has a think about his creative process. And, you know, he developed some things that he he sort of thought about the way bats use sound, you know, and um, all these clicking sounds they use when they're doing the echolocation. So he sort of, you know, made some samples of clicking sounds and, and then sort of stretched them apart and, you know, so he has his own process. It's completely separate. Then what usually happens is he'll come in and sort of maybe watch one or two rehearsals and then shortly after that, like, present me with a few sample tracks. And then from there it becomes very back and forth. So we have the sample tracks. I listen to them. 
there's usually like if he creates eight tracks there's usually you know three or four that are just like I'm 100% having this in the work as is you know it's it's perfect let's basically leave it or you know not touch it too much and then from there we'll extract like certain themes and certain things to then build into the full piece and then from there it continues where he's you know making an updated version and I'm sending him an updated version of the choreography and then he sends me the updated music and then I send him the new updated choreography it just sort of like keeps going back and forth uh, mostly via Google Drive you know mostly through videos but sometimes you know he'll come into the studio and actually see see things you know it's very back and forth but the initial process is very separate you know I don't really want to restrict him I want to I want to see what he he thinks you know with the bat mm. with bats you know what do bats make him think of musically and there's one really nice thing that I think ended up in the music which is this almost sort of harpsichordy kind of s- sound uh someone described it to me as medieval the other day which I'm not sure is like exactly the right word but there is something that reminds me of these spooky mansions that you might find you might associate with bats you know something like in the sound that has this sort of gothic vibe to it. Mm. Few times in our conversation you mentioned people giving you feedback on the work calling it medieval or similar to Swan Lake. So uh, how often in the process are you actually sharing the uh, performance with others? Do you work with dramaturg or um, just having like showings, rehearsal showings? And who do you invite in that space? Yeah, it's it's a real mixture. So um, usually, like for our first residency, I oh actually we did do a showing. I just remembered we did do a showing. Normally in the first residency, I wouldn't necessarily do a showing because it's just so sort of beginnings, you know. Yeah. Um, but we did do a showing, and it was actually really great. Now I remember it because uh, it was on the Friday, and Ali was available, who'd been there all all week working on stuff all week, and then Strickland, one of the dancers I work with a lot, was available that day, but he hadn't actually been to the residency at all. He just said, "Oh, I'll come in on Friday," and I said, "Great, we're doing a showing, no pressure." <laughs> like, and he came in, and I just told him the concepts and told him to improvise, and he actually just did the most amazing thing, and it was fantastic. So that was, um, you know, a fluke or. <laughs> A great moment um but yeah usually people if we have a residency will invite like the facilitators of the residency which are usually people who are producers directors in their own right uh mm-hmm. choreographers maybe actors dancers all sort of different people and they come in and then we'll do a Q&A afterwards and they might ask some questions or they might uh give some feedback about what they think how they think this could go like what trajectory it might take um and also just sort of general criticism uh which helps me you know refine what i'm doing mm-hmm. like if someone says you know what what is it about them being villainous you know characters in our minds what is it about that that's important you know and actually digging a bit more so there's all sort of a mixture of feedback um so we do showings at the end of our residencies usually during covid it was sometimes we didn't because of covid because mm. it was you know limited um and then i work with a well i i normally work with a fantastic dramaturg and mentor kay armstrong who's recently moved out of sydney so she hasn't actually been uh here for our recent development but she along the way was involved in the process and would come in and would offer suggestions of i of um sort of like 
exercises we could do in our warm-up class that might be related to the work. So she might come in and suggest, in your warm-up today, how about you try this, you know, something. So, for example, I talked to her about how I was so interested about the bat's long fingers being the structure of their wings. And then she came in, like, the next week with this, this like, 20 giant sticks that were like two meters long and was like you should try moving around in the space with these giant sticks to give you a sense of like how far Mm. away a bat's finger is to it you know that sense of length Mm. so then we did a session where we were moving around the space with these giant sticks uh on our hands you know so so she offers these really like fantastic ideas of something you could just play with whether it ends up in the work or you know it just it's just something that's a process thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and then she also offers really good um, specific feedback on the work. Um, but, yeah, she hasn't – because she's been out of Sydney, she hasn't been with us in the studio recently. But there are things that she suggested and talked about earlier on that are, you know, in our minds as we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isid Radio 89.7 FM. Uh, this is Arts Monday, Sim Poesis, where we usually talk about art and environmentalism. And I think this is a very fitting theme, talking to choreographer Eliza Cooper this morning, who is telling us about her dance piece called Bat Lake, which you will be able to see from 13th of October at Riverside Theatres in Paramata as part of Form Dance Project. We uh, spoke about costumes a bit. You just mentioned another time the sticks and the long fingers or fingernails of uh, the bats. And I know that in making of those costumes, which is connecting us to environmental theme, uh, you have worked with upcycled or recycled or repurposed materials that you find in op shops. Mm-hmm. What are the basis of these costumes? Yeah, so... I guess my, my costume process is, uh, is pretty similar to my choreographic process. I have these, you know, visions as I'm about to go to sleep each night that come to me and then, uh, and then I, you know, write them in my phone notes and then I try and go back to sleep, but then I have more ideas. So there's this element of ideas just coming to me, but there's also this element of, yeah, going to op shops and just seeing what's around, which I, I really, I've always loved it. I'm, I think from when I was about 12 years old, I got super into the op shops and the vintage shops, went to Newtown High School, which like I think a lot of people are into that there. It's, it's just sort of what people do to hang out. So I got really into that as an activity in general. So I often do spend time at op shops and charity shops. And then I was in, it must have been the very beginning of 2020, my boyfriend at the time and I went into Vinnie's Newtown and found this really tacky black organza bridesmaids dress which had like a huge train that was like covered in ruffles and it was so like over the top and kind of horrible but like we both saw it and we're like this is so bad this is so bad you know <laughs> um and so we bat, got it bad or bat bat, bat. <laughs> yeah bat animal yeah. yeah there was something about it that was so like nighttime so there's something kind of slick about bats. Like I think as opposed to birds in the way they fly, they're very, they're very slick, very uh, sort of aerodynamic or um, they're very acrobatic. There's something kind of um, as a, you know, I don't know. There's just something slick about them. And this thing was so shiny and so kind of fantastic. And so we bought it. It was $30 or something. And I hacked it up and turned it into one of the dresses. So this is the dress that Strickland, one of the dancers wears. And then there were also a lot of sort of black chul 
tutu-esque kind of things that I found in op shops that I also bought and have ended up as part of the work. Uh, and then there's a lot of um, a lot of the other costumes I make from scratch. So basically from, from the sort of collection of secondhand items I've accumulated, once I have a better sense of the vision I'm going to go for, I will then go and try and uh, match fabrics. You know, like if there's a certain black organza, I try and find a similar one in a shop to, to like bring, make it cohesive and have like a, a sense of the collection as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other day you mentioned to me how busy you are finishing these costumes on top of choreographing the work. And uh, I asked, well, why don't you give your designs to somebody else to make it for you? Because that seems like a usual process. And you said, well, I can't because it's an improvised process. What mm. does improvised process mean in terms of making costume? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, it's it's sort of very ongoing and evolving and and very improvised. So basically I had this studio, I had these few items I'd bought secondhand um, and then from there I would. it's not like I would design something in advance. I would sort of get a sense of the feeling I want to get from it but that's about all and then I sort of go in and just sort of trial and error. You know, I, I never um, I never like studied sewing or fashion or design or costume making or anything it's just it's just been something I've done my whole life since I was a kid I remember when I was about probably eight years old I started making clothes for myself you know like it was just always something I did and it was very random in the way I did it and uh very impulsive which I think is a very valid creative process you know I really I think a lot of my favorite artists are very impulsive and they don't plan everything you know they 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 plan some things they come into whether it's a film they come in to shoot the scene or if it's you know a play or a dance work whatever it is or or a painting you know an artist working on a painting they might have a sense of what they want to do but once they're there it's it's improvised once it's happening so I really like working like that so I come in with a sense you know or I buy the fabrics I come in with a sense of what I'm going to do but the actual process is very random and also I'm very um a bit slapdash about how I do things. I don't really like measuring things fully. I just sort of like cut the fabric how I think it works. You know, it's very, it's very, uh, it's like, you know, there's these dresses that have big sort of ruffles and stuff, but I didn't measure how I cut them. You know, I just sort of, once I had the scissors in my hand, I just sort of do what I think is like my impulse is to do. So there's a lot of improvised elements in, in the physical making and also in the designing where accidents happen that are really good and I keep them, yeah. Mm. You have mentioned favorite artists and uh, before the show started, you were saying how a large part of the way you work is inspired by film. You mentioned David Lynch. Mm -hmm. Speak to us a bit about these influences that come from other artists who are some of the other artists that you draw inspiration from. Yeah, I think I... uh, the sort of since I like when I was younger my most of my choreographic inspiration came from choreographers you know that was just sort of the way I thought about it Uh, and then once I did the pre-professional year program at Sydney Dance Company and worked in that program we worked with so many independent artists who have their own specific practice whether it be Dean Walsh who's like a leading Sydney-based choreographer who works a lot with animals and this kind of thing or whether it be Oh, it could be like really anyone or Brooke Stamp, someone who's really practice has a lot of improvisation, you know, everyone was very different. And from that, I guess I realized that, um, that processes could be, were, were very different and people 
processes were inspired by their everyday interests. You know, I hadn't really realized that when I was younger. And so from then on, everything that I did in my life started to inspire my dance, like whatever it would be, whether it's just like the feeling I get in the morning when I, you know, walk to the cafe or something, it could just be a feeling or it could be, you know, I feel my watch or it could be, uh, you know, like a bat I see in the tree, you know, it could be anything. And so I think from then I became much more aware of like why I liked certain films or certain artists and what it was about their work that inspired something in me and um yeah when I was 18 I had really bad chronic tonsillitis for about three months and I was in bed for almost the whole three months and I just watched Twin Peaks and David Lynch films over and over to kill the time because I wasn't well enough to do anything and it was like a real amazing experience and I just loved this like sort of strange feelings you get when you watch his work like some of it is the duration of some scenes is so long and drawn out and you're really thinking like where is this going what is the point of this scene you know it's been going for 20 minutes like what's going you know what's the point but it gives you a really real emotional reaction Mm -hmm. you know having to sit with this patience or or maybe a scene is really you know terrifying and your whole body reacts you know I just noticed that like his work made me feel very strongly Mm-hmm. whether the whether the feeling is impatience and like I want this to hurry up or whatever it is it I I had more of a reaction to that than maybe other film directors so I think uh I it it there, there's sort of these elements that have become more and more in my work that have been inspired by that like sitting with scenes for a long period of time mm-hmm. or having scenes that maybe are unresolved and that's okay. You know, not everything has to be tied up and really neat at the end. It's like maybe it's okay to just like have an idea and put it out there and it doesn't connect to anything, but that's also interesting because mm-hmm. I feel like in life that happens. So I feel like it's it's actually a more real experience almost to have these sort of impulsive random things worked into the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're listening to choreographer Eliza Cooper telling us about the process of making her full-length dance work, Bat Lake, which will premiere on 13th of October at Riverside Theatres in Paramatta. This is Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. Eliza, in this uh, work you are uh, collaborating with seven dancers, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Is there a significance to this number? Was this a deliberate choice or it just so happened? That's a good question. No, it actually wasn't a deliberate choice. I sort of, I had, I have four of the dancers uh, who are Ali Graham, Mitchell Christie, Strickland Young and Maxine Carlisle who've been on the journey since the beginning, more or less. So they've been working on this for three years and then I suppose we got to a point where I just felt that I couldn't get the sense of a colony of bats hanging in the tree or, you know, a cloud of bats, as some people call it, flying through the sky or whatever it is with only four bats. I just felt like it doesn't give the sense of like a a collective of animals sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I just don't get the sense. I think if we were working with different animals, it would be different. Like if we're working with snakes or something, you know, a snake can be by itself. It's much more common but for bats I just it just sort of hit me I was like I need more bodies in the space I just need a bigger group so then so then I engaged a few people came in and out of the process um who would like join us for a few days and then you know that was all they could do um and so we've ended up with seven you know that's that's but very much by chance not not by any uh sort of superstitious thing (laughs) 
let's mention the name of the remaining three just to give them a shout yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. So we have uh, Remy Rochester, uh, Jasmine Lancaster and Cassidy McDermott-Smith. So they're the other three who t- two of them I know and, and I know a lot of the other collaborators too uh, from the pre-professional year program at Sydney Dance Company and then some of them I know back from my days at Newtown High School. So that's really nice. They're old high school friends that I've known since I was about 12, so that's nice. <laughs> was there any point in the process where you considered performing alongside them besides only choreographing? Um, not for this work. I When I'm working on an ensemble work, I really don't want to be involved in performing because I find it really hard, I think, to get a sense of how something feels and looks and everything if I'm on the inside. I feel like it's it's hard to have a good critical gaze. Some people do it. Like I, I've seen some works where the choreographer is in the work and it is, in fact, a good work. But I don't think I can do that. But I, I have performed in my own solo works and I will be doing that in the future. But in ensemble works, I just think it's better to be on the outside. There's so many people to manage as it is. Like you don't want another pressure almost. But I suppose maybe that's our like uh, one of our understudy backups if someone gets COVID or something is that I will probably, you know, have to go on if that happened. But um, because I know the work. But, you know, it's not my preference. <laughs> well, let's hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not jinx it. Eliza, thank you so much for joining us on ESA Radio this morning. It was really lovely to find out more about the process of making this work. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. ESA Radio 89.7 FM. We'll have a short music break. What you were just listening to was a conversation with choreographer and dance maker Eliza Cooper. And we were talking about Bet Lake, a full-length dance piece that will premiere at Riverside Theatres in Parramatta as part of the Form Dance Projects on 13th of October. And it will go for a couple of nights until 15th of October. ESA Radio 89. 89.7 FM.